1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
0: I'm Matt Svilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah.
1: Hey, this is Sarah
2: from Across the Pond in Boston, Massachusetts. And you're listening to the Amazing Tennis Podcast with David, Catherine, and Matt. Enjoy the show.
3: Well, hello, everyone, and thank you to Sarah Lemaire, who introduced today's episode of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Brilliantly done. Uh, I've been to Boston, Massachusetts. Lovely place. Um, And only fitting that our introduction today should come from stateside, because that is where the tennis world is still focused just at the moment. This is our Miami Midway Update podcast Um, and it's all a bit sort of messy because it's one of these uh, tournaments that isn't quite a two-weeker, probably should be a one-weeker. We can't quite put our finger on what stage uh, the men's and the women's competitions are at, but we know they're at different stages. That much is sure. Um, And these sort of extended tournaments 1,000 events is actually something that the ATP are pushing for more of. They want uh, Madrid, Rome and a couple of others, I think, to be to be extended events. And that uh, is something that Simon Briggs touches upon in our uh, Boots on the Ground live from Miami report from Simon Briggs, which, um, David, we're delighted to have in the show.
4: Yeah, yeah. A few hours ago, I just thought, Simon Briggs is in Miami. Let's talk to Simon Briggs. Let's find out what's going on when, you, when you're actually over there. We've had Catherine send in voice notes. Maybe Simon can figure out which button to press.
2: <laughs> it's not really a podcast anymore if it doesn't include a voice note, does it? It's, it's very much our <laughs> it, new thing this year.
3: It's our new thing, folks. So without further ado, let's hear from Simon Briggs on the ground in steamy Miami. So I'm wandering around Miami...
5: Under the palm trees at the Hard Rock Stadium. Um, it's quite pleasant here, the sun is shining. Relatively quiet around the grounds, it's just gone 11, and Cameron Norrie's coming out in court to play Hugo Gaston. Um, so when I come to this tournament, I can't help but think about the old Miami Open, uh, which was staged at Crandon Park on the other side of Miami, which is a very romantic tropical island that had to be reached across a causeway and it was full of mangrove trees and iguanas and all such uh, wonders of tropical life. Uh, and I remember last time I was in Crandon Park, 2018, I wrote a column about the move and I was up most of the night trying to come up with some arresting imagery and some zingers. And then I, I went to see Roger Federer next day at his press conference. I asked him about it and he said, um, I hope that we look back 30 years from now and say, thank god we made this move but right now it doesn't feel great and i thought well i've been flaving away over this keyboard for six hours and you've basically done it in 15 seconds and 30 words and that's really quite annoying mate but (laughs) anyway uh we've moved um there was a problem with the old site we couldn't build or they couldn't build any permanent structures on it it became quite tatty and it looked all the more tatty because it was running immediately after the grand enterprise of Indian Wells, which, you know, is no expense spared with Larry Ellison's investments. So, IMG who in the event felt it was time to go. And so now they've come to Hard Rock Stadium on the other side of Miami. It's a big old drive out of town, about half an hour. You go past this kind of wasteland with all these um, giant, giant billboards advertising stuff like termites. Uh, exterminators and uh, and storage facilities, and then you get to this gigantic um, structure with huge white masts that feels a bit like a spaceship has landed in Nowheresville, um, and it's interesting, I mean the, the main tennis stadium is built inside the main American football stadium which is home to the Miami Dolphins and a bit like a Chinese doll situation and as the press we're sitting inside the press box of the f- football stadium and looking through an unfinished corner of the tennis stadium uh, like we're almost seeing a sort of giant piece of Meccano that hasn't been um, completed. Uh, it's, a, it's not the best of views put it like that uh, but we end up watching either on the telly or, or going round into a box further round. stadium to see what's going on. Um, I do find that stadium a little bit unsatisfactory. Then we have uh, the outside grounds have been nicely landscaped, uh, lots of palm trees as I say, and you know nice uh, bars and and a little bit of music playing. Um, The grounds haven't been that full this week so far, Uh, the attendance hasn't been great, there have been some quiet days. Um, I think Friday for instance we had um, also the matches, I mean, maybe not the most dynamic at times. On Friday we had uh, Henry Larkson and losing 6-1-6-2 to Casper Rood on the stadium court, and this just doesn't feel like the kind of occasion that's going to grab thousands of viewers uh, to their TVs or, or to their chairs. Um, this does worry me a little in the context of what's going on in Miami politically in tennis, which is the ATPM meeting, they're trying to um, change the Masters format so that uh, three more tournaments are going to go to 12 days. It's uh, in the short term Rome, Madrid and Shanghai with uh, Canada and um, Cincinnati also intended to join them on 12 days in 2025. And I'm just wondering why that is going to be an improvement. Uh, Does bigger necessarily mean better? That seems to be the only motivation behind these changes. But if you're spreading the same material over 12 days rather than seven, I just don't see how that's gonna help the tournament feel any more vibrant. So we're building up here. I'm sure we're gonna get bigger crowds as we get towards the finals weekend, Um, but uh, it hasn't necessarily had uh, great uh, penetration in in the kind of the world sports media yet, or indeed um, particularly full stadia. Um, Just makes me think that this ATP campaign to upscale tournament is a little bit about style rather than substance
3: the uh the ever erudite and entertaining simon briggs there thanks very much for that update i love that the the tennis podcast or the simon briggs manifestation of uh russian sanctions is to uh rename russian dolls as chinese dolls uh well done simon that was excellent um Lots else to pick up on there, not least the very subtle dragging of Laxanen and Rude. <laughs> uh, and their, what did he describe it? Not not particularly dynamic match played on the stadium court the other day. Um, he's right, isn't he? The the fact is the tournament thus far hasn't caught a light in, in a way that I think is exacerbated or highlighted by the schedule is that harsh
4: the schedule in what regard
3: well the 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 thin spreading yeah if you like
4: yeah no I, I i take that point and and obviously there are some names some pretty significant names not there and and indian Wales had nadal and nadal went all the way to the to the end and, and all the rest of it so that that does stand out and and I mean, he's right. When when you see Rude against Laxon as your as your big stadium court match, it's it's not exactly enticing. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Rude. I know that does sound that, but but it's true. He's not going to pack him in at this stage in his career. Maybe he never will. I don't know.
3: No, no regular listener to this podcast, David, is ever going to accuse you of being disrespectful to Casper Rude. <laughs> Quite right uh,
4: i I'd have been there had I been in miami um but anyway i wasn't and I wasn't um, but um yeah it's it is an interesting one that thing about extending the duration of these tournaments we we have this this strange sort of middle ground at the moment as you say, where here we are on a Sunday and we're kind of kind of a third through the tournament. That doesn't. It all feels very strange, and and they're going to maybe extend it further, and then they're going to extend several of the other tournaments further. We have the Madrid tournament where they they start the women's tournament about three days before the men's. Uh, all of it does seem very strange to me uh, in, in terms of feel, even though I can I can kind of get the economics behind it and and so forth, but. Um, yeah but it's it's i haven't been to the hard rock stadium i haven't been to the miami tournament since it relocated but it's um I I am I do feel quite uh, nostalgic thinking about Cranham Park. Although the place was falling apart, I mean, it, as a stadium and as a as a, a venue, it it was struggling to be fit for purpose anymore. But there was something special about it as well, and uh, it was very picturesque. It, we we have great memories of it because it took it lasted for so long. But really, I mean, Simon is there for for a week, and really, he was there for the Brits. It, it's difficult to to carry the interest of. A British writer, for instance, to go over there unless the the big name British players like Raducanu or Andy Murray are really performing, and they they were in it early on. And these tournaments are sort of they're big, but they're not grand slams. You know, even though Miami was the Indian Wells of its day, that was always referred to as the fifth slam, and now that's become Indian Wells. Um, but no, I. I don't know how I feel about extending these tournaments that long. I, I like the fact that they're they're mixed men's and women's events, the vast majority of them anyway, and I think the longer that that... As long as that is sustained, then all the better. If if making them two weeks is, is the way to achieve that, then fair enough.
3: Purely as a viewer, because I've never been to the Miami tournament, I never went to Crandon Park, I've never been to the Hard Rock Stadium, so this is very easy for me to say for, literally from my armchair... I preferred the feel of watching Crandon Park, but I realised the fact that it was falling down doesn't have implications for me in my armchair, whereas it obviously does for, for all the people that are there. But purely as a viewer, that that's how I feel. I just have a slightly colder feel watching. There's something about a sectioned-off stadium that is just inherently, just makes me feel a bit, literally empty it leaves me with a slightly hollow feeling
2: yeah it's not ideal i mean i must say i'm 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 pleased they're back in that main stadium i think this is better than than last year's miami where they didn't use the main stadium uh, i think because there was no need really because they couldn't get the crowds in you know it's quite a cool feature being inside that big stadium i just don't know how well it actually works as an experience it's also got quite an annoying shadow moving across the court during the sort of first couple of matches of the day which is a pain but when
3: we, when we get really desperate for bonus pods for friends of the tennis podcast <laughs> we'll be doing worst shadows in tennis most problematic <laughs> court shadows oh my god it, honestly we could do a banging banging show on that it'd just be one rant after another but it would admittedly be niche <laughs>
2: I'm already thinking Madrid, (laughs) Haller, Miami. Yeah, there's a whole show there, isn't there? Um, But yeah, and I think actually that that point about extending the the 1,000 events generally, I think Simon said it well, style over substance. Um, But again, like you said, I'm talking as a viewer there. As a viewer, I love a packed order of play condensed into seven days where every day you know there's just going to be non-stop, pretty much, brilliant tennis. And I don't think you quite get that at these 12-day events. But at the seven-day combined events, those order of plays every day are just amazing. And I think you lose something when you extend it over 12. In that respect, I'm sure there are other reasons.
3: It's like when a legendary artist plays plays a slightly longer concert and mixes in new material with, <laughs> uh, with the bangers. You're like, oh, I, I, I'll tolerate it. But I am just sitting and waiting for the bangers. Um, anyway, let's not be. Look, I'm 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 partly being a grump because I'm watching Miami on the telly and it's bright sunshine and I'm I can I'm watching my Indian Wells tan fade. <sighs> yeah, I, can, I can hear I can hear the violins. <laughs> I can hear the violins coming out for me. Let's talk about positive tennis things, which is that we have a brand new. <laughs> That's Billie Jean growling in the background. Uh, she is pleased about this. I promise. We have a brand new. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> she's. It's just a. It's a. It's her equivalent of a drum roll. We have a brand new women's world number one, and it is eager. <laughs> it is eager, Shvontek, and she's deserved better than this moment, Billie Jean. She's a big Schwantek but...
4: fan, and she's just trying to get that
3: over. She, that's exactly what's happening david um look it it's it's not the perfect way for her to have ascended to world number 1 it it felt like she was probably going to end up being a world number 1 at some stage in her career um but yes she she got there now because of Ashbarty's retirement. In the week, Ashbarty confirmed that she's requested that she be removed from the rankings after Miami, which is the next time that new rankings will be released, which meant that Iga Svantec only had to win one match in order to, conf- to confirm herself as the uh, the new number one. And Paola Badosa had an outside chance, but it required Svantec to lose, which, boy, did she not lose. 6-2, 6-love against Victoria Golubic, who has really soared up the rankings recently. I, I noticed that she was seeded in India miles and I really did double take at that. But I looked at her rankings trajectory and she's, she's really had quite a 12 months. Um, you know, she's tech by far the better player, but to, to put in a performance like that playing for world number one, I find pretty extraordinary actually. And I'm so pleased for her that she did that because I'm sure Knowing the character that she is, there must have been a little bit of weirdness and perhaps imposter syndrome for her about the fact that she was getting to number one that way. So to put in that dominant and imposing a performance, you know, to perform like a world number one felt important to me for that moment for her.
4: Yeah, I, I think maybe Barty helped a little bit by being so effusive about Shviontech, both in her sort of retirement interview and press conference, but also previously, you know, she's talked warmly about Sviantek. They've had matches against each other. I know Barty's won them relatively comfortably, but I think Shvantek already is a different player from those meetings. She has she's moved on again here, and I, I just feel that her ravenous appetite to be the best is is there for all to see. She does it in her own quiet very likable way, but but there's a real determination in her to 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 be the best and and she would have been striving for this whether Barty was there or not and i think she believes in herself more than she ever has i think she was surprised almost by her level that she found at the french open when she won it i don't think she's surprised now i think she now believes in her ability to to play against anybody and show what she's got um and i found the whole thing really comforting actually in the wake of Barty's retirement because that was a jolt uh, and and I'm very happy for Barty if she's happy but um, I still feel sad for the sport I think it is a shame for the sport and yet on In the days that followed, we had Naomi Osaka playing out of her mind and looking happy and reminding us how great she is when she's on form. And we've had Svantec, who's one of my other favourite players, becoming the world number one and underlining it with a performance like that. That's great.
2: And it was a very Svantec thing to do, wasn't it? Play and win a match only losing two games where she has a lot on the line she's made that her thing hasn't she just thrashing people when it really <laughs> matters for her she just <laughs> just dismisses them we, we, we've seen it in all of her 1000 event finals we've seen it in the French Open finals she played against Kenin, and now this one okay maybe didn't quite have the same pressure because you know it was likely she was going to be world number one anyway but to just emphatically go out there and, and sort of as you said, deliver a world number one performance like that was was significant, and yeah, very very Schviantsev as we learn more and more about her.
3: Mm, they um, they they hastily cobbled together a, a presentation party, didn't they? Because obviously they they wouldn't have been expecting to have to hold a world number one ceremony at the start of the tournament. But um, they they produced Lindsay Davenport, um, of course, a former WTA number one, which I thought was a really nice moment, and what a warm. Kind individual to to have there with her in that moment. So that was all great. Shiontek remains alive um, in the tournament and is in brilliant form. You mentioned David Nomi Osaka. Well, in total, only eleven out of the thirty-two seeds on the women's side reached round three. Uh, we've lost Sabalenka. She lost out to Irina Camelia begu Emma Raducanu lost to Katarina Siniakova again after serving. For the match, I think that's three matches in a row that she's she's lost after serving for it. The tennis level is there, um, but she's just unable to maintain it. And, you know, she's got a lot going on. Um, Karolina Pliskova lost to Anna Kalins- uh, Kalinskaya. Anna Contevate lost to Anne Lee. Maria Sacchery lost to Beatrice Haddad-Meyer, Ostapenko. Um, who'd won the tournament in Dubai earlier this year, hadn't she? She lost to Shelby Rogers. And Elisa Mertens lost to Linda Fruvitova. um More of her in a minute. She is a 16-year-old who just minutes ago also beat Victoria Azarenka. We will talk about that separately. Um, but for now, uh, going back to the seeds that are missed out, uh, Garbini Muguruza and Simona Halep Um, also withdrew ahead of the tournament. So only 11 out of 32 seeds through. But, of course, one of those unseeded players through is Naomi Osaka, who, on the basis of how she's been playing so far this week, will not remain unseeded for very long. She's told us that she started seeing a therapist. Get me that therapist's number. (laughs)
2: Also, she's got a personal vendetta against Caroline Wozniacki, which I'm enjoying <laughs> oh, a lot.
3: It's, I, it's great. The most gentle um, but powerful vendetta. Tell us more, Matt. Well, I believe
2: she was watching Tennis Channel. I think Caroline Wozniacki's been doing some commentary for Tennis Channel over the uh, Indian Wells, miami period. And I don't think Osaka really likes knowing about the draw or anything, but she was watching the Tennis Channel and they were going through the draw and she saw her section come up and Wozniaki gave her predictions for the section of who would make it through. And I think she said that Kerber would go through and Layla Fernandez. And Osaka heard this and thought, well... I'm in that section and Caroline Wozniacki doesn't think I'm going to be going through. So I went on to court trying to prove her wrong, basically, was what she said.
4: Love the fact that she uses the word vendetta. Yes, she did. She,
3: she says, I'm not usually into vendettas. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I've but made, I, an but I made an exception. <laughs> yeah. Again, give me the therapist's
2: number. <laughs> she said, I still feel like I'm a pretty good player. and yes you are it's interesting
3: though because she she did play like she had a vendetta against Angelique Kerber Kerber had won their last four matches that was a she's a banana skin matchup for, for Naomi Osaka yeah
2: and I think even more than that I was thinking back to Osaka's losses last year she had a bit of a problem against lefties she lost to Fernandez mm. at the US Open. She lost to uh, Vondroshova at the Olympics. I'm sure there was another one as well. Jill Tightman, I think, as well, during the American hard court swing last year. So she had, you know, the lefty problem and the Kerber problem to deal with. And yet, like you said, she just dismissed Kerber. I thought Osaka was brilliant. The best I've seen her play in a long, long time. Just so many winners flying off that racket. And it's just just a reminder of how good she is you know in my mind when she's at her best on a hard court she's the best player on a hard court i mean i feel more confident saying that now that ash barty has retired actually uh, because that was a matchup which we did see a little bit but you know not not enough, not enough. Um, oh. and I'm going to continue to be sad about that, but yeah, I'm very, very happy that, that Asaka is playing like this again. And, and I love the way Wim Fassett apparently put it to Osaka that maybe seeing a therapist would be a good idea. You know, he said, you hire me for tennis, you hire, you know, someone for fitness. Why would you not hire someone for your mind and your mental health? And I think, um, she went onto the court with, with some techniques this week in Miami um, which she's been putting into practice, and yeah, it's it's really great to see. I think a lot of people are pulling for Osaka and want the best mm. for Osaka, and I sort of really felt that momentum behind her this week so far.
3: And of course, in many ways, this is a home tournament for her because mm. she she lives a lot of the time uh, in Florida and, and trains there. Um, so it's great to see her looking comfortable. And at home, it was not great to be denied her meeting with Karolina Mukova, which we were supposed to get in the second round. Uh, no, third round. Oh God, what round are we in?
4: This is where this tournament's problematic. You know, here we are on Sunday. It feels like we've been it's been going for ages. Nick Kyrgios well, are... has won two matches, like big names, and he's he's just gone through the third round, and it doesn't feel. I've quite, seen quite I've quite seen
3: nice. Heather Watson play three matches. And Daniil Medvedev has only played one. Yeah. Explain it to me. I it It's... Anyway, I think that was supposed to be a third round match because obviously the seeds get a bye, but Asaka is not a seed. so I, And she'd beaten Astra Sharma and Angelique Kerber. So yes, she was supposed to play Karolina Mukova, um who I realised I hadn't thought about in a blooming long time. Um and then who who did she beat this week to remind us that she exists?
2: She beat Leila Fernandez pretty convincingly. Yes.
4: Don't I know it? Having picked Fernandez <laughs> to win the title, <laughs> I, having having had what I felt was some sort of moral victory by picking Zachary to go to the final of Indian Wells and Alcaraz of the semis, I've I've embarrassed myself this week. Both of well, my Matt and I both I went
3: f- for Felix Auger-Aliassime, who's bombed out as well. And I, I also went have for lost next three, love
4: yeah. Uh, I don't
3: we're... think anyone's faring brilliantly this fortnight David no, put it that way. No, right, yeah. All right
4: then. I feel marginally better.
3: Just imagine how our year-long predictions are looking with Barty's name <laughs> splattered <laughs> across them like roadkill. <laughs> That's going to be absolute carnage. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we'll deal with that in nine months' time. I mean, does Nash rem- Party,
4: you know, she she could have a bit of consideration, couldn't she? And blummin' mm. wait until the end of the year, at least.
3: Mm. Anyway, <laughs> at least it, you know, it affects us all equally. Um, unless anybody predicted that she would do this, in which case I'll be... Grossly, Didn't I say anyway. i the calendar I'm trying slam, to, <laughs> I forgotten what point I'm even trying to make about Mook. Yes, you did. Oh,
4: God, <laughs> she would have done.
0: Anyway,
3: Mookova. I forgot that she existed. She reminded me that she existed, and now we're going to forget again because she's got another injury. She is unlucky, isn't she? But she she's so good when she's good. She's got so many tools, mm. you know. She's a She's a mini, I'm not going to say Barty, you know, she's just, she's got touch and feel and a bit of mm. wizardry um, and she's, yeah, she's she's great for the game, but she's, I'm going to forget she exists again. This abdominal <laughs> problem
4: is the one that keeps recurring, isn't it? Mm. And and that always worries me because that is such a difficult injury to get rid of because you use that part of your body all the time in tennis.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's at the centre of everything, isn't it? Quite literally. Um, Before we move on to talk about some of the men's happenings, I said that we would come back to... Now, I don't know why I've done this in two segments because it means I have to say her name again. But I get the feeling I'm going to need to practice saying this name. So here we go. We're coming back to Linda Frovitova, who is a 16-year-old Czech Player, a junior Grand Slam champion who I'm guessing is an IMG player because she's been given a wild card into Miami this week and she has capitalised on it. Uh, she's now won, I think, three matches. <laughs> um, she's beaten Elisa Mertens and today she beat... Victoria Azarenka, former champion, of course, in Miami. Uh, one of the only women to have pulled off the Sunshine Double, winning Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back. Um, and she did it in truly bizarre fashion. I mean, blistering fashion. She was awesome. I'm so glad, Matt, you alerted me to the weirdness that unfolded in this match because enabled me to go back and watch the weirdness and get briefed on it for the podcast. Uh, but also to watch a bit of this young woman's tennis because she is... She's the real deal Um, and her poise is extraordinary. What sort of player? Um, Well, she's a lot like Azarenka, but 2.0 and just has these amazing instincts on that. She always picks the right shot. And I increasingly, my working theory is that that is actually the most prized um, component of the top players picking the right shot.
2: Yeah, and I thought that word you used there, "poise," was 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 what I noticed when I watched her. There wasn't there wasn't any sort of deference to Azarenka, but neither was there sort of the arrogance of a that sometimes a junior player can have when they haven't necessarily done a lot yet.
3: Are you talking about Holger Rune, Matt? <laughs> you can just name him.
4: <laughs> or Cecil just Karatansheva. I remember her when she I said didn't. she was going to. Kick Maria Sharapova's ass off all those years ago.
3: <laughs> that's, a, that's a shut your fuck up, isn't it? I'm going to kick your ass off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Matt, sorry.
2: Sorry, I was, I was just looking up who, uh, who Holger Rune lost to this week.
3: Um, <laughs> just the assumption. It's, all, it's, it's, good to be, it's good to be across his losses.
2: Mochizuki, actually, he did retire think he might have a bit of a back problem but anyway it's not it's not it's not going great for him at the moment anyway um what i would say also about frouvetova is that there's two of them that this is linda mm. Fruvatova, there's also her younger sister brenda uh, and they both won in back to back years they won uh, the tournament in tarb in france le putisat which is a oh. real sort of marker of you know, junior talent. I think a lot of players have a lot of, you know, Gasquet, adal Murray, they've all gone through there. There's loads of video on there of YouTube playing there. It's a great event and they won it in back to back years. I think the only uh, siblings to have ever both won it. Um, and Brenda's a couple of years younger. She's coming as well. And Linda is here now. So yeah, I think we're going to be saying their names a lot. I did check the WTA website. No pronunciation guide yet, so we are. I we have. Are um,
3: I've sent Daniela Hantikova a message requesting a voice note. Great. Um, just confirming. I can't do that. Pronunciation. So thank you. Um, she hasn't replied, yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's at the top of her to-do list when she comes off air. Um, I love the idea uh, of them bringing back the names Linda and Brenda because <laughs> let's face it, they've been out of fashion for a while. It's great. Um, imagine being 14 and called Brenda. Marvelous. You everywhere. Loads of Grandmothers everywhere are
4: delighted. Loads of people on social media, you know, were watching that match with Linda, going, "Yeah, well, you wait till you see a sister to their mum."
3: Yeah, but we let's we did say that about Djokovic. We all we heard it said about Djokovic, didn't we? Did
2: anyone say it about Pass? <laughs>
4: Not for very long. <laughs> um, Although Petros uh, won a, a 25k doubles the other day, I saw, on Instagram. Did he? Yeah.
3: Wow. You are really across his his highs and lows. Correct. Um, Matt, the match involving Linda Frovitova was dramatic and notable for reasons other than her... Uh, precocious brilliance um Victoria Azarenka has just I can't quite believe what I watched I mean you told me what happened and I went back and watched it thinking well there must there must be some context that that Matt has failed to tell me um but as far as I could tell same as you there there wasn't much context to explain to explain what she did which was by the looks of things just she was being roundly beaten didn't fancy the fight was pretty indignant about the fact that she was being hit off the court by someone half her age and just picked up a bag and walked off. Um, it's possible that she shook hands with her opponent. It looked, from what we could see on the footage, that she didn't. It's possible that she did briefly and it just wasn't caught on the on the camera, but it looked like she didn't. Um, and it was... A pretty low moment for Victoria Azarenka, for a great champion to behave like that.
2: Yeah, really, really bad look. Uh, the umpire was kind of pleading with her to say, "Look, ju- just wait. We'll call the physio. We need to wait for the physio to come on. Then they can make an assessment, and you know, then you can do what you want to do." And Azarenka was having none of it. She just shook the umpire's hand, picked up a bag, and and left. And I think, you know. It's always it's always sort of difficult to or I don't want to judge players for the, you know, for sort of why they retire. But I think there's certainly a way of doing it. And, you know, even if she was feeling awful, I think there's a sort of respect to your opponent, a sort of a way of doing things, I think. And she didn't do any of those things. Um, but as you said, it, it it actually just looked like she didn't want a part of this match anymore. We'll wait to see what she says in press, if she goes to press. Um But yeah, it was just a really, really bad look from Azarenka, I thought.
3: It reminded me of when she just, uh, she came out to play at the October French Open. Yes. In a sort of ski suit and it started raining and she just picked up her bag and walked off. Yeah, said, I live in Florida. Just... <laughs> she did. <laughs> I mean, this was This she was in Florida. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was a bad look. I believe, I think she'll receive a fine for it because I think the rule is that you have to be signed off mm. by a physio. That's Certainly, what the umpire you have to was have that saying. consultation. Yeah, um, so we'll see. Anyway, not not a great look. But and there was this just this delightful interview with Tover after the match where she was just she was so respectful of Azarenka and so chuffed to be on the court with her um, and chuffed to have beaten her. And I just thought. Oh, it's such a shame that, you know, that wasn't reciprocated and, bah yeah.
4: I, I just... think I'm right in saying that, that Azarenka played last week in Indian Wales and was pretty emotional in, in the match that she lost. She
3: was. I I, I don't know exactly, but I, su- I, I suspect the political situation in, mm. in Belarus, being a Belarusian a- athlete, is is extremely challenging for her at the moment. And I have certainly a degree of sympathy with her about that, but... She elected to take to the court. Yeah. And that comes with certain responsibilities about about behavior. Um, but Anyway, we'll see. We'll see
1: what she has to say. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello?
3: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. On to the men's tournament and... I mean honestly where what round are we at somebody somebody help me I've seen Kyrgios play twice He's been very good And he's I mean, been brilliant He really has yeah. been
4: uneventfully good just really professional and efficient and just really good And he's talked to I mean he beat Andre Rublev 6-3 6 love I think he was broken in the first game, Kyrgios, and then he just rolled away with it. And he he actually said about Rublev, look, I don't think he had his best day. Oh, and his second serve isn't very good. Um, And, uh, and, I mean, look, he made him look ordinary. I think it was a poor day for Rublev, but it was just so one-sided. And Fanini, I watched the match today. That was pretty one-sided as well. Um, You never know how long this stuff's going to last with Kyrgios, but... Well, it's the best he's looked in a long time. I'll I'll say that without question.
3: But you won't go any further, David Law, not well, falling into the Kyrgios trap. I, I, Are you tempted? Are you tempted to fall?
4: Yeah, I mean, he's got Sinner or Karina Buster next, and I could see him beating either one of those in the form mm. he's in right now. And if you think about I think it, he'll it win that. he only lost to Nadal, didn't he? It's and you can you can play well and lose to Nadal now. I I still think with Kyrgios, it doesn't matter how on it he is. If you can push him into deep waters and and make him last for, out there, for, uh, eventually he may well end up capitulating and beating himself and finding something to get upset about. But he he just looks he's a heck of a player when he's on, isn't he? And and so he's winning easily right now.
3: Well, I think ahead of that Rublev match, he had just received confirmation of what fine of the fine. He'd be getting for the appalling racket throw at the end of that match with Nadal in Indian Wells, which was the maximum maximum possible fine for that category of offence. I think twenty five thousand uh, dollars. So it's possible that he was, you know, fired up by that. Channeling. You know, that he's fi- find finding things to to rage against. Which, if he does it in the right way, I'm I'm you know yeah. fine. Go with it.
4: I mean, he he didn't look angry today at all. He just looked sort of zoned in he looked he looked really focused and motivated and and i we said at at the end of the australian open that we'd like to see him playing more with Kokonakis and not just leaving it there and they have they've played i think this is the third event since then that they've played together i think it helps Kokonakis being around him all all the time in the in the player lounge in the locker room and it's every time his name is brought up kurios's face lights up it happened in the interview after the match today and i just think yeah, he's, he looks like he's in a good place, and I think that's a big part of it. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what any of it means. It doesn't need to mean anything. All it means at the moment is that Kyrgios is playing well, and that, that is absolutely clear.
2: David, as we know, I think we all have new predictions to make in the newsletter this week. Will you be going for Kyrgios? How sucked in have you been?
4: That's a very good question. He's playing the best tennis I've seen at the tournament so far. So probably, yeah.
3: After that Rublev win, he said, he said, look, I know I can be any player on any given day. That's me. That's who I am. And that is always, that is who he is, isn't it? That's how we think of him. That's his selling point. He's not going to string it together. He's unlikely to win a slam. But on any given day, he shows up and he can beat even the best. And I I think that that shtick has worn thin for me recently because it just hasn't been true. He showed up against Medvedev at the Australian Open. He really played well. He wasn't good enough. He showed up against Nadal in Indian Wells. It wasn't enough. It was very close, but it wasn't enough. That shtick has has worn thin because actually against the very best his best hasn't been good enough and I wonder if that's been a bit motivating for him I I don't know
4: he did say that it's he's had the best off season that he ever had and that he feels as fit as he has in a long time and so it does feel like that there are more component parts to being a top player in him just at the moment now don't know how, that'll, how long that will last. But he 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 gives me the vibes of 2017 Miami a little bit at the moment. On what Catherine said, I think you can
2: l- look at Kyrgios's results against top players and they would be at their worst over best of five. I don't think he's had that many really big wins in slams, if you look at it. And also in latter stages of best of three events. You know, we have seen him do this sort of thing in terms of results before in early rounds and look amazing. He looked amazing in Indian Wells and then he played Nadal and he lost. Now he's obviously had better wins here in Miami, you know, Rublev. That's, that's a proper win. That was, that was unbelievable. It took 50 minutes. I switched over to watch the Sina-Rusavori final set tiebreak, and I missed most of the second set of Kyrgios. That's how quick and how sort of devastating Kyrgios was in that second set. I can get behind this Kyrgios that that we've seen so far. It's been kind of addictive tennis the way he's playing, um, and yet also really focused as well. But I would I would hold off on our sort of Kyrgios discussions until next week, I suppose, because that's when we're going to get to the the latter half of a best of three tournament, and that's where, as you said, he. He's still got to kind of prove himself over the last couple of years because we haven't just haven't seen those results from from him in a while.
3: Question for you both. Are you have you muted him on Instagram?
2: <laughs> no, I haven't actually. But I, I only have you the pod. You're
3: inflicting all of that PDA on yourself.
2: <laughs> I only have the pod Instagram. I don't have right. a personal Instagram. Oh,
3: so you have a professional responsibility to be across all of Nick Kyrus's PDA? Correct. What's I, PDA stand I, for? <laughs> Come on, David. Public displays of affection. Oh no,
4: I I haven't seen that. I don't know where to find that. I also well, don't know how
3: to. Nikiros is social media, David. Okay. All of it every day. Right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's he's clearly happy, um, and we wish him well. Uh, speaking of Dinil Medvedev, he I think has only played one match. Uh, It was a win, four and two, over Andy Murray with Ivan Lendl watching on. What will Ivan Lendl have made of what he saw? I think he will
4: have felt that he's got something to work with based on the first set. I think Andy Murray displayed a bit of the forehand that we used to associate with Ivan Lendl coaching him from a few years ago. Um, And then... It reminded me that he just he didn't have to face Daniel Medvedev back then, because Medvedev's a heck of a player. He is so good. He diffuses so many games and makes things so difficult, and it's very hard to attack him. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's pretty much the ultimate test. I would have thought for somebody like Murray. I think I think Lendl will will fancy his chances of getting Murray competitive against a lot of players Medvedev's really tough he, he, he finds a way um by the way uh, Simon Briggs told me and he's actually just just sent me a little bit of a, a a preview copy of, of of a piece he's written in tomorrow's newspaper which uh, which will be going online on the telegraph website from ten thirty p.m uk time tonight um an interview that uh, the british press over there in miami have done with Ivan lendl uh and with andy murray in attendance as well and and um really trying to get understand why lendl agreed to to work with him whether there was any hesitation all that sort of thing and um he clearly thought Feels that there's still plenty left in Murray. I mean, I don't think he'd be there, would he, unless he thought that? And um, yeah, between the two of them, I think that they feel, and it's, I think that the fact that Murray is not playing the Clay Court season, he's going to have basically two months of just hard graft now, trying to get ready for grass. And I think it's the right move. I really do. They're going to decamp now, I think, to Lendl's home. I think some of Murray's family is coming over. I was reading in the piece. And and they're really going to make a proper go of this now uh, because the grass is where he can be competitive, uh, or at least the best chance that he has of being properly competitive, hopefully at the sharp end of a tournament for him. And he needs that
2: reset, I think, Murray. He needs to snap out of this uh set this pattern of results that he's in. You know, since since the Australian Open he's lost in the second round at every tournament. Uh the Australian Open, Rotterdam, Doha, Dubai, Indian Wells, Miami. It's he's just stuck. And actually there's been a little little regression, I would say, compared to the back end of last year when he was beating Sinner, her Alcaraz—he was getting some really good results at the end of last season, and those have dried up a bit for him. So I think I think it's come at the best possible time—the sort of clay that he can step away from the training block with Lendl and then go fresh onto the grass. I think I think it's an exciting period now for Andy Murray over the next few months. Whereas the last the last few months have been a bit of a grind, I think, and not the sort of results that he would have wanted. But yeah, I thought I thought he played pretty well against Medvedev, but it looked like a guy, as you said, who's, who's doing things that Murray isn't maybe that used to. You know, someone who can control service games really easily, but also be such a threat on return. You know, it's kind of amazing the way he controls his serve and his return, Medvedev. And yeah, it looked like a guy in his physical prime against a guy not at the moment. And I think... You know, Murray's never going to be in his physical prime, but I think he can be better than what than what we're seeing at the moment. And I sort of trust his partnership with Lendl to bring that out more than anything.
3: He said he, he might uh, kick off his grass court season at the Challenger event in Surbiton, which is um, just an excellent sort of um, insider's uh, ticket to 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 buy to to watch a bit of tennis in the UK hopefully not too expensive um yeah just a great place to go and watch tennis um what else has happened in the men's tournament early loss is for Aljireli Eliasim he lost to Ketsmanovic okay Ketsmanovic different player to what he was you know even 6 months ago um but still you know we'd both picked Felix Aljireli seem to win this tournament matt and I didn't feel that confident about my pick, but when I heard you'd picked him as well, I suddenly thought, "Oh, okay then." And yeah. I'd
4: have picked him as well. Had, had yeah. you two not?
3: I mean, I don't understand his season. Really, I, I don't. I don't get it. What's happening? Or is it just Ketsmanovich is really good now, and we shouldn't read too much into it?
2: No, I think we should be a bit disappointed by that result for him. Um, I don't know whether I would. Whether I would sort of go so big on his season generally, and I think it's just these two results, Indian Wells, Miami, have been have They're been disappointing, odd, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Taken together, you know, if there was one bad one and then a good one in Miami, you could kind of write off Indian Wells, I suppose. Um, I think the reason I picked him was that you know he did lose early in Indian Wells. I thought he would have you know time to prepare for Miami. Uh, a kind of a little bit of a point to prove. He he did quite well in Miami a few years ago at the Hard Rock Stadium. I just, you know, thought the conditions might suit him. Yeah, it's a bad loss. And I watched the second set of that match and he wasn't competitive at all. Kechmanovic, a guy who plays a similar style in a way, you know, big, mm. heavy, topspin, forehand, you know, stands kind of behind the baseline and rips the ball. And he was just doing it an awful lot better than... Ogier Aliasim. yeah, de- definitely definitely a step back after a season which has been, you know, two or three steps forward, really.
3: Shapovalov also lost early. He lost today, in fact, didn't he? To Or yesterday, perhaps, to Lloyd Harris. Um, his season's gone, gone astray since the Australian Open. Is this a give it time, a Jamie Delgado situation? I mean, I didn't see that, that loss and perhaps you didn't either david so no difficult one I, to put you on the spot I, with but i saw O'Gellia i, I still just him as well
4: him. um and I, and I was very impressed with Ketchmanovic but when i see Chapaval i think he's lost to harris before and and it's it's one of those it's it seems to cause him trouble but i i don't i don't have really any any insight as to how things are going with Jamie Delgado, I think that that is something that he needs to invest in, and I believe Jamie's a a good, solid guy to have in his team, and will tell him the right things. I I would, I think, knowing Jamie a little bit. But it's the second time that Shapovalov's had a big result at a Grand Slam, and then just fallen away and not done anything with it, not built on it. Uh, you know, had several tour events and Masters one thousands that just haven't haven't yielded anything, and I. I find that disappointing, really, for, from Dennis's pers- perspective, because the top players don't do that. You know that you might do it once or twice, but on the whole, you keep coming and you keep delivering.
2: Yeah, his losses since the Australian Open are Rinder Rinderknech, Vesely, Apelka, and this one, Lloyd Harris. You know, you, you can lose to a lot of those players,
4: but it's not—it's not great. You pr- That's pretty much not a good run, is you'd be it? picking him to win most of those, if not all of them, really on paper, mm. wouldn't you?
3: Okay, well Clay coming up. That's it's not necessarily the surface I associate most with him, but we'll see. Pressures off, I suppose. Um Jensen Brooksby is still in the Miami Open. He will face Cameron Norrie next. Norrie is going to be Almost certainly, I think, after Miami, a top 10 player, which is extraordinary. The man is a machine. Um, he beat Hugo Gaston today. Um, just it's, He's just so damn hard to beat. It's extraordinary. And there are these amazing quotes that have come out about the fact that he has um, huge lungs, disproportionately large lungs. He ended up in hospital having to have scans for something. Uh, he, I think he said about five years ago, and the doctor t- said to him, mate, are you a deep sea diver? Because you've got these enormous lungs. Um, and uh, he thought, right, well, I can make something of this. And boy, is he making something of that. He is... I mean, I didn't know having big lungs was a, was a thing. I thought, you know, like the whole your arm span is... The same as your height. I thought there was just, a you know, a mathematical sum, and it was in direct proportion to the size of other things on your body. And I now really want to know whether I have normal sized lungs. Um But yeah, Cameron Norrie has massive lungs, and he is putting them to great use. Next up, he will play Jensen Brooksby, uh, who, by and large, I think is brilliant for tennis. Uh, I love watching him. I find him quirky and weird and I don't quite know how it works but it does and he doesn't mind being a disruptor and I love that but he crossed the line um in his previous or his first round match I think it was I'm confused about what match it was or all the matches um but he he smashed his racket uh and it bounced and I I think did just about make contact with with a ball boy or Man, as Matt has put in the notes, because they are they're they're grown adults in Miami. In a lot of the US tournaments, actually. Um, he was given a point penalty, um, but he wasn't defaulted from the match. Um, punishments aren't harsh, harsh enough, are they? This is clearly a pattern of behaviour from from men, a worsening situation with with male players at the moment. It's not everyone. And yes, they're, each one is a one-off incident, but there are a lot more one-off incidents happening. And in my view, the ATP have stitched themselves up with what they did in response to the Alexander Zverev incident in Acapulco, which is undoubtedly the most severe offence of all that we've seen by far. And by not issuing any kind of ban to him, any offence less extreme, which most are, even a quite extreme offence will be less extreme than what Zverev did in Acapulco, has to obviously be punished less harshly. Um, so they've they've set the scale and the bar so high. The bar, it seems to be unofficially that you have to cause proper harm to somebody, to an official or a lines person or a ball boy or someone in the crowd in order to receive... A punishment that will actually hurt um and that's really horrible because it feels now like we're just waiting for that to happen because it will
4: yeah i mean i think they've stitched themselves up with just the way it's written i don't think i think the umpires and the referees are probably doing all the right things in terms of carrying out what is written um and in this case brooksby just sort of flung his racket across the floor at quite a rate and it's sort of you know I don't know whether it hit the line judge's ankles or the ball man's ankles or he jumped out of the way. But, you know, it, it, Brooksby was in no control over that racket. He didn't know where it was going. He wasn't trying to hurt anybody, but he wasn't controlling himself in any way to avoid hurting somebody. And And that's the problem. It's just reckless behavior. And that can't be allowed to just go unpunished because people... Don't check themselves when they're when they're carrying on out there, and um, you know I, know. I know again, it it contradicts with some of the the love of aggro that we all have, but we don't want anybody getting hurt. And whilst neither does Jens from Brooksby, that much is quite clear. He doesn't want anybody getting hurt either. He nearly did hurt somebody, or. That sort of behaviour is going to hurt somebody at some point, and that's going to be then too late. So rewrite the damn rule so that people maybe don't do those things. Would be my advice. Brooksby gave out a fulsome, uh, a, a long apology, and a, what looked like a photo, a photo op with uh, the, uh, the the ball man, um, which I don't quite understand why, but he subsequently deleted it from uh, his instagram post page after posting it but anyway um i don't really get social media sometimes as you know it looked like someone had taken that photo from in the
2: bush
3: it did it looked like a weird paparazzi style photo there were a lot of things about the apology sequence of events that made (laughs) made no sense to me (laughs) um but uh, yeah i'm glad he did the apology um Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll never know what went on there. Uh, Anyway, yes, wholeheartedly agree with everything you've said, David. Um, I think that's just about it for where we're at currently with the Miami Open. Taylor Fritz is still going. He beat Mikhail Kukushkin yesterday. Um, He could so easily have lost that match. And uh, he's just, you know, makes me think of what you said about Paul Anacone. He would play every week if he wanted to, you know, He's out there because he wants to be, and it's it's good to see someone with that appetite and love for love for the sport. It's really good to see. F- plays Tommy Paul next, which um, which I'm here for. Wasn't that a junior Grand Slam final? At least one, I think. I, I think it
2: might have been two in the same year. I think mm. I think Tommy Paul wow. won the French, and mm. uh, Taylor Fritz won the U.S. Open. I think. Yes. And
3: Apelka won Wimbledon. Yes. Apelka in the middle. won Wimbledon. Yes. Crikey,
4: you two and your junior knowledge.
3: That's good. Mm. Mm. Um, So that's it for Miami. Obviously, we'll (laughs) we'll be back on Thursday with another update uh, when I won't quite know what stage of the tournament we're at. And then we'll be back on Monday after the finals. And I'll definitely be clear (laughs) on what stage of the Miami Open we're at. Um, so if you can just hang in for that and we can all go through the bumpy ride that will be Thursday's episode. Um, we'll also hopefully have uh, Stan Varinka and Dominic team to talk about. They are making comebacks this week at a Challenger event in Marbella. So we wish them well because um, we'd like to see them both back and healthy and playing good tennis and Ripping single-handed backhands, wouldn't we? So, fingers crossed for them both. Um, We have a weekly mascot. Uh, It's Heinz Ward, which is another excellent name. Uh, A dog. A beagle chow mix, which is not a mix I've ever seen before. Um, But he's absolutely lovely. Uh, He's named after the, the beloved Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver, Heinz Ward the Human. Uh, David, is this someone you're aware of?
4: Can't say I was before today.
3: He sat there in his NFL sweatshirt and he's never even heard of Heinz Ward. Not interested in the Steelers. He's a fraud, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Heinz Ward is owned by Karen Wu. Uh, I'm a big fan of chow chows, I have to say. Um, They look like mini lions. Uh, They're gorgeous. And Heinz Ward is delightful. So thank you, Heinz Ward, for being our mascot for the week. Uh, David's mascot for the year is Darwin. Mine is Carter. Matt's is Gerald the Cat. Billie Jean's is Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, Chris Albert-Lee and Kyle Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. Simon Briggs is the Telegraph's tennis correspondent. Thank you, Simon, for contributing to today's episode. Check out Simon's work. It is splendid, and tremendous. Uh, and we have shout-outs, Matt. Who are they for? We
2: have Imogen McKinnis, who is from Melbourne but currently living in Zug in Switzerland for the last oh. 11 years.
3: Oh, hello, Imogen. I really like the name Imogen.
4: Wow. Really good uh, spread of geographical locations there. Was it McKinney, she That's, said?
3: What a niche compliment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: mckinnis 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 like derek you know, mckinnis the central you know midfielder of west romwich albion from 2000
3: that's what we were all thinking david do you know zug <laughs> do you know zug as a location is that somewhere right. where they they give away cows as gifts i'm aware of it well i'm sure it's lovely imogen thank you for your support we also
2: have elaine hayworth who is irish but living in chelmsford
3: Hello, Hello, Elaine. I feel like Elaine's probably the third Fervatova sister. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That'd be good.
3: There's a 12-year-old about to come through. She's going to win the Le Petit this year. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Elaine. Uh, one of my best friend's mums is called Elaine, and she is lovely. Elaine Thompson, the current uh, 100-metre champion, Olympic champion.
0: Yes. Elaine Thompson-Herro, isn't it? Thompson-Herro. Yeah.
3: Yeah. She was originally Thompson. Now she's Thompson-Herro. Yeah. But it's still Elaine. <laughs> it <is.
2: laughs> there we go. We finally today have Scott Johnston from Aberdeen. Hello, uh, Scott. Scott. And Scott was at the 1985 Wimbledon men's final, uh, Whoa. watching watching a 17-year-old Boris Becker. Beat Kevin Curran. Wow.
4: What a moment to be at. That
3: is so cool. History. That really is cool. He,
2: he entered a ballot from World Tennis Magazine and got three tickets. Three? Yep, yeah, for his, three. himself, his mum and his sister. That's so You're cool. Dis-
3: dishing them out like sweets back mm. then. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, that's really, really cool. I was going to reel off a list of tennis-related people with the name Scott but just marveling over the fact that you were there for that, Scott, is far cooler. Um, so, thank you very much for your support. Uh, really, you two were all... even
4: alive, were you? No,
3: <laughs> no, not sorry. even thought about. about that. No. Uh, thank you to all our friends of the Tennis Podcast. We'll have another pod for you soon. If you want to become a friend, the link is in our show notes. Leave us an Apple Podcast review. Uh, tell your friends. Definitely sign up to the newsletter. Good things are happening there. And we'll be back on Thursday for our mid-second week Miami <laughs> review pod where we talk about tennis. We'll see you then. Bye. Hold
1: up.